Last Sunday, we heard Jesus tell the disciples that they must go to great lengths in order to preserve the spirit of forgiveness that exists between them. If someone sins against you, go to that person in private and point out the wrong and see if you can win that person back. And if that fails, take two or three with you. And if that doesn't work, get the whole church involved. And finally, if the offender won't even listen to the whole church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If someone is not willing to seek forgiveness, that person cannot remain a part of a community that is defined by forgiving love. Today, we see that Peter wanted to know if the same thing applied in reverse. Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? If a person is given three chances to repent before they are cut off from the community of faith, how many chances are we supposed to give an apologetic repeat offender before we kick them out as well? Should we forgive them as many as seven times? But Jesus tells us not seven, but 77 times. If the need for repentance and reconciliation is unequivocal, then the demand for forgiveness must be limitless as well. To get his point across, Jesus told a story that dabbled in the absurd. When a king began to reckon accounts with his servants, he found that one of them owed him 10,000 talents. That's roughly 164,000 years worth of wages, or in today's money, about $5 billion. More than a mere slave This servant must have been the overseer of a major operation in the kingdom. And somehow over time, his negligence accumulated until he owed a staggering amount more than anyone could ever have paid back. When confronted with his gross mismanagement, the servant fell down on his knees and begged the king for more time, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Perhaps realizing that the man would never be able to come up with that much money, the king did what is to us almost unthinkable. He forgave the entire amount. But later on, that same servant came across a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, or about three months' worth of wages. In today's money, about $12,000. Now, that's no small amount. But compared with $5 billion, it's almost nothing. This time, as before, the second debtor fell down on his knees and pleaded, giving an identical request. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But this time, the servant refused to show mercy. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison until the debt would be paid off. 
And you remember how the story ends. I don't know what's harder to believe. That a servant could ever amass a debt that big or that a servant who had a debt like that be forgiven could ever be so blind and hypocritical. It's hard to imagine anyone being that obtuse. What kind of person would ever receive a gift of that magnitude yet fail to show even a fraction of the same generosity to another person? No one would ever act like that. No one would ever be that self-absorbed. No one would ever be that blind to their dependence on the generosity of others. Would we? On whose generosity is your life built? On whose forgiveness and understanding are the relationships that you value most established? On what privileges is your success manufactured? How much of what you have and who you are and where you live and what doors have been opened to you are accidents of birth? And how much of that is really something you've earned all by yourself? My parents helped me open a savings account when I was in the second grade. When I was in middle school, my father gave me $500 to invest in a custodial account which he opened with a brokerage firm on my behalf. Although I did understand that going to college could cost my family a lot of money, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to go wherever I chose because we couldn't afford it. In fact, it certainly never crossed my mind that I wouldn't be able to go to college at all. I've had my share of hardship, which is to say that I've applied for jobs that I didn't get that I've had to forego things I wanted because I couldn't afford them. But I've never wondered what would happen if I had to go to the doctor or the hospital or the pharmacy and wouldn't be able to pay. I've never needed to know where to find clothes or food or Christmas presents for my children because I couldn't get them on my own. I've never worried that if I were the victim of a crime and called the police, that I might be the one who was taken to jail or worse, shot before I had a chance to explain myself. You can call it generosity or mercy or forgiveness or privilege, but whatever you call it, my life has been built on a lavish gift that I do not deserve and I trust that in at least one or two ways, yours has too. We are judged. We are held accountable not because we have received such a gift, but because we have failed to recognize the gift that we have been given. And because we have not recognized it as a gift, we have failed to use it and are judged for having failed to use it for good. We are the merciless slave. 
As hard as it is to believe that anyone could be so blind, we are the ones who blind ourselves to the magnitude of the gift that we have been given. We hide our eyes from it. Because to see and recognize how much we have been given is to see and recognize how little we can take credit for ourselves. We live in a world that assigns value to human beings based on how much they have achieved and attained and accomplished. That means that any head start or leg up or free pass, it undermines our worth in worldly terms. But that isn't true in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, a person's worth isn't measured in dollars earned or decisions made or work performed. When God's authority and God's economy are operative, a person has value purely because that person has been made by God and is loved by God. Are we willing to live in that reality. That's the first step. Admitting that each one of us is equally precious to God. If we can believe that, then we can start to let go of the notion that our output, our resume, is the ultimate measure of our status. And if we can stop evaluating ourselves on the basis of what we have accomplished, then we can begin to recognize and admit how much we have been given. And if we can start to see how much of our lives have been built upon that gift, then we can break the cycle. Then we can receive mercy and show mercy. We can forgive as we have been forgiven. We can love as we have been loved. The only thing more absurd than the parable that Jesus told is our collective failure to show mercy to others despite all of the mercy that we have been given. Why do you think the economic and political systems of our day are resisting those who would ascribe equal value to the persons whose lives have never mattered as much as the rest of ours. If you think that 10,000 talents is a lot of money, try calculating the economic impact that 400 years of slavery, segregation, discrimination, redlining, mass incarceration, and police brutality have had on America, far more than $5 billion. It is a debt that none of us could ever repay. For many of us, whether we are the direct descendants of people who owned other human beings as property or are those who have benefited from our race in other ways, our prosperity has been built in part on the backs of others. We are judged by God, not because we are born into that advantage, because we have been given that privilege. Instead, we are judged to the extent that we have refused to acknowledge it and have been unwilling to use that privilege to show generosity to others. Jesus 
came to welcome us into the kingdom of God. The reality in which love abounds, in which forgiveness is limitless, in which mercy is overflowing. The magnitude of that gift is unfathomable, but the consequences of that gift are very real and very measurable. No one who has received a gift like that has ever failed to reflect its power in their daily lives. No one who has ever been loved like that could do so without showing that same love to others. To do that would be unthinkable. To live like that would be absurd. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.